The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parables shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that our eyes would be open uh, to see Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Isn't that convenient? Uh, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. That would have been nice, right? Uh, if he could have uh, had that written down. Um, but one of the big things uh, that we hear, and really all three of our passages tonight, but we're going to talk about 2 Corinthians, and is one of the biggest dilemmas that we deal with in, in our culture today, and that's the issue of identity. Uh, who am I? Uh, that's a question that's plagued all of us for our human existence. By the way, this is the first time I've been here since we've got like surround. Uh, I feel like a gladiator in the. So, I mean, you could give me the thumbs down in the Colosseum. So, uh, uh, but the whole notion of, of human identity uh, who am I in the world in which we live in? Uh, we're all trying to project an identity. Who do we want people to think we are? Uh, but also, the world tends to project an identity upon us, and sometimes we can spend a great deal of time trying to dissuade the rest of the world that actually we're not like that. Uh, I went to high school uh, with a guy who, um, I'll use his first name, Evan, and uh, he was, um, he was a real pain in the neck. Uh, just had a reputation for being a jerk, and he actually tried to be a jerk. He just really uh, lived it out uh, and excelled at it. And uh, he graduated from high school. Uh, I didn't see him all the way through college. Uh, but a couple years after college, we ran into one another again uh, out in public. And I said, oh, Evan, how are you? And he said, actually, my name's William now. I was just like, no, it's not, right? <laughs> no, it's not. Your name is, I, I thought, I mean, is this this guy's uh, twin from uh, somewhere else? But uh, it, it turned out that what Evan had done is that when he went off to college, he was so convicted and wanted to so escape his identity as being a jerk that he started going by his middle name and tried to project to everyone else uh, that was around him that actually, I'm a pretty good guy. Uh, recently, uh, there have been two really interesting things in the news, and one of those is uh, Bruce Jenner, uh, and the other one is a lady by the name of Rachel Delosel. Uh, most of y'all know what's going on uh, with uh, Bruce Jenner, the Olympic gold medalist in the decathlon. 
who uh, is trying desperately to change his identity so much that he's changed his name uh, to Caitlin uh, and wants to be related to uh, as, as a woman. Uh, but this other lady, Rachel DeLosel, is the head of the Spokane, Washington NAACP, right? the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, one of the longest civil rights organizations in in our nation. And uh, she uh, recently uh, was asked in a press conference, are you white? Now that sounds like a crazy question, uh, but it turns out that Rachel DeLosel grew up in Montana and is Caucasian, and yet sometime around college until now, she's in her uh, 40s, I believe, has passed herself off as African-American, both in tanning her skin and styling her hair in such a way that would lead people uh, to believe that. Now, most of us would look at Bruce Jenner and Rachel DeLosel and we would say, but that's that's extreme. Those people are just confused. And yet we're all just as confused as they are. It's just that our struggle with our identity manifests itself in very different ways uh, than they do. Uh, And but for the grace of God uh, goes Andrew Pearson. So we look at 2 Corinthians tonight and when we are trying to project a certain identity and you're trying to prove yourself to someone. But we all know that this gets deconstructed fairly quickly because there are certain things, if I just land this job, if I just get into this position, if I just join this organization, then everything's going to be great for me. And then we do actually land those things, and it turns out you still have the same problems that you struggled with before. Or even in small, ridiculous, petty matters. Uh, I call this TJ Maxx syndrome. Uh, because, you know, you'll go to TJ Maxx and you'll find something uh, that is deeply discounted but normally would cost a lot of money, and then someone sees you in it in public and they say, wow, that's a really nice shirt. And your immediate involuntary response is, I got it at TJ Maxx, it was really on sale. Because heaven forbid anybody think you paid retail for something like that. Uh, And so there's a whole lot of sidestepping that we do in our culture, even in small, teeny, tiny ways, uh, but it still doesn't strike at the heart of, What is human identity then? How is it that we are able to uh, be uh, who God has created us to be? And what St. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians tonight is that any identity that is apart from Jesus Christ is actually worthy of damnation. Now, that's a strong word, but think about it in your own life. Anytime that you've tried to stake your life, anytime I've tried to stake my life in something apart from Jesus, it's a foundation of sand. Uh, Eventually, it will get swept away. I was talking to my wife, Lauren, once, and we were talking about high school cars, and I felt pretty confident in the situation, and we were talking about what kind of car I had, and I said, I had a Mustang convertible, which is awesome. And she just kind of looked at me and she goes, gosh, you really were a redneck. And I thought, wait a minute, whoa, 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 no, 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 that's cool. And she goes, no, that's that's actually not cool at all. And so all of a sudden, that which uh, I thought really uh, made me something in high school, uh, in a matter of 10 seconds, uh, Lauren was able to totally take the wind out of my sails and bring me uh, back uh, to uh, reality. And so we read in the psalm, some put their trust in chariots and some in horses. Uh, Our hearts are prone to put our trust in things 
that eventually are going to fail, right? The psalmist here hearkening back to when Moses led the people across the Red Sea and their Pharaoh's army is closing in on them. And with great military might, uh, they were impotent to turn and defend themselves. And yet as they passed through on dry land, when Pharaoh and his armies went through with their horses and chariots, the Red Sea collapsed in upon itself and drowned one of the greatest military forces on the face of the earth, that no matter how much prestige you might think you have, no matter how much power uh, you think that you have, uh, apart from Jesus, it's nothing. Uh, You become spindrift in the ocean. Well, St. Paul tells us that the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. When he talks about the love of Christ controlling us, what he's saying is this. In Jesus, when you become a Christian, you are overpowered by the love of Christ. Sometimes if you've ever been into St. Vincent's Hospital, when you walk in, this verse is translated, for the love of Christ compels us, which makes it sound like as a reaction, because Jesus loved us, this is what we do. But in fact, this is a much more accurate translation. That is that God's love for you is so overwhelming that it actually controls you, that it's God's love that pushes you. It's not just a sort of cheerleader to get you, but it's actually the love of God that is within you that compels you and moves you along to make you realize that one has died for all, therefore all have died, meaning that we're all dead to ourselves in our human identity. Now, there are some things in human identity, I should use this as a footnote, that we're never going to be able to escape. You know, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. You know, those types of things are are very real, uh, and uh, and there are certain tags in our culture uh, that are very real and and part uh, of who we are. But is that ultimately who I am? I mean, if I sunk my entire life, every fiber of my being, into my children, uh, I have three children, and statistically... Um, one of them is going to, you know, move to Seattle and blow it royally. You know, something like that is going to happen. Uh, Or if I sunk everything I had into uh, being a a husband, uh, what would happen one day if uh, if, uh, any sort of slight criticism that Lauren gave me uh, in the face of such strenuous effort to be uh, the best husband on the face of the earth, uh, it would totally dismantle me. And so we know that we are all uh, dead and who we think we are has been totally leveled so that we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same state of brokenness when it comes to our own human identity. And sometimes it takes a tragedy for us to realize this. Uh, Just last night, um, one of our best friends in Buford, their two-and-a-half-year-old little boy died. It's a tragic, terrible Uh, accident. Uh, And when you are confronted with the reality of life, which can often be very harsh, uh, it really starts to make you take inventory of what really matters, right? Who who am I? All of a sudden, do you think that they were thinking about their job or whether they were going to get into some club or or whatever it might have been? No. All that they were left with, the, the, the parents, at the end of their rope is Jesus, That's all they had. And so, because of that, we realize that we can't live any longer for ourselves, but we have to live for him who, for our sake, died and was raised again. 
So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. The way the world regards us, the way that the world interacts, I mean, you can read it in the newspapers with the lady from Spokane and Bruce Jenner. That's not how God relates to us. The world will pick apart your identity and even at times try to turn you into something that you're not. So how does God see us? God sees us as we are. Naked, vulnerable, as it says here, uh, that there is going to come a day when we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That there is an incredible sense of that, not even transparency, but being seen as we are, that no secret is hid from God. All hearts are open, all desires known. Now, if you've ever been in one of those situations where the world has seen you in that particular state, if you've been brought low, uh, if you've been guilty of some terrible thing that has become public, uh, how does the world regard you? As a pariah. I mean, I, if y'all could read my thoughts, right? You know, I mean, if you, I, these reality shows where they carry cameras around all day long, if they did that to me, y'all would never come hear me preach ever again. Right? I mean, because the things that they would, they would record me saying and, and doing uh, would just be uh, appalling. And, and that's not even the ability to read my thoughts, uh, but just in my daily actions. And yet God sees us even in that state and where the world reckons us and says, no way, and turns away. God's gaze upon us is fierce and it's intense and it's 100% one way unreciprocated at times, love. He loves us without condition, without price. And so he sees us in our messed up and broken identities, and he loves us. But what he wants to do is to not leave us wallowing uh, in our own self-righteousness, Right? Righteousness is just another word that the Bible uses to talk about identity. Where do you find your value? What determines who you are? And so that's where self-righteousness comes from. If you find a lot of value in yourself, we say that you're self-righteous. Uh, or if you find value in anything else, there's, there's an other righteousness. And so if we were just to leave it here right now and say, well, apart from Jesus, your righteousness isn't worth a hill of beans, that would be fairly depressing, and you would be uh, right to be a little bit upset and, and thinking, well, where do I go from here? But where we go from here is that it turns out that what Jesus does for us on the cross is that he gives us his righteousness, his identity. When you realize that when God the Father looks at you, even in the midst of your brokenness, he looks at you the same way that he looks at Jesus. Perfect, without blemish, without spot, without stain, with perfect love. You know, St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 that love keeps no record of wrongs. I am good at that, right? I mean, it's just, it comes naturally to me to, to say, you know, somebody does something in my life and I say, you always do this kind of thing. Like, what do you mean? I said, this one time in 1996, you did the same exact thing. I mean, I can really get it down to time, date, and place. Uh, But God doesn't hold any of that against us, but reckons us as righteous and sees us as he sees Jesus. 
in verse 21, which is not in this passage, but later on St. Paul would say in chapter 5, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That all of the judgment uh, that our identities would rightly fall under is turned upon Jesus, who in reality was without sin, was without blemish, and yet he takes upon himself the condemnation that is rightly and, and justly ours, those things, those fears that if anybody else knew about us, uh, it might literally kill us. Those things that we would be fearful of standing before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, as J.C. Ryle would say, God has put them behind his back and so that he cannot see them anymore. It's almost like the game that my kids love to play with me where they come up behind me and they tug on my jacket. I still feel them, uh, but the moment I go looking for them, they just continue to move behind my back and they're just not there. They're just not there. And so tonight in this crazy world that we live in, in a world that is desperately crying out for identity, for value, uh, for righteousness, uh, that we would seek our refuge in the only righteous one, uh, Jesus Christ, who offers us his identity, where we find security, where we find a strong foundation, uh, where we find uh, our everything, uh, even in the midst of a world that is trying to sell us foundations built of sand. Amen.